Hello, friends, and welcome in. It is Rates and Barrels. I am Chris Welsh. That is Eno Saris. And there is no DVR because DVR is out for the month, but he will be back. And just a friendly reminder that uh, Rates and Barrels is switching up. This is kind of the last week of the normalcy, if you will. We just did our season finale of Project Prospects. So thanks to everybody that has tuned along with that. But next week, I will be back on Monday with Eno. We'll be doing our shows with little prospect nuggets, and Al will be there on Friday. You know, we got a lot to talk about. We've got a posting. We have got some injury worries. We got some prospect notes. We got a whole bunch of stuff to get to, and we can kick the show right off with the posting of what may be a big time pitcher. Shoto Amanaga is going to be posted to the MLB, joining what is now going to be uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Jung-Hoo Lee as the big posting international guys. And this is a 30-year-old pitcher who has had an interesting career, has got an interesting arsenal, and has had some really great results. So curious at your take on uh, on Amonaga overall, and then what we might see as far as like team. I think I've already seen like seven teams that are linked to it, but I just don't know if it's going to be to the same degree as we are going to see with Yamamoto with the five-year difference between these two pitchers. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because Shota Imanaga beat out Yoshi Yamamoto uh, by stuff plus uh, in uh, in the uh, in the WBC. Um, so the overall stuff plus for starting pitchers number one was Shota Imanaga. Number two was <laughs> Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Uh, number four was Urias. Darvish was five. Alcantara was six. Um, you had Otani on that list. Roki Sasaki, who throws 100 miles an hour, was 11th uh, behind Otani. So uh, that's that tells you that this is not necessarily about velocity for Shota. Uh, it's more about um, the the shape of the fastball. He has great ride, and he's short. So he's got the kind of shorter release point with the great ride combo. Stuff plus that it was a 148 fastball. That's one of the biggest numbers I've ever seen. Even if you regress that, it wasn't 45 pitches. So that's a decent sample for fastballs. Even if you regress that, I think I can, you know, say here that he's got a plus fastball by shape. He's got a really good slider cutter uh, hybrid, uh, and he has a pretty good uh, a feel for all of his pitches. Um, but you know, he is the looking, dreaded five foot ten, though. I just want to point out he is. The, I mean, we like, talked about this yesterday. Dreaded in in certain terms, but I think once someone demonstrates success, I care less about it. It's like Agreed. if you're in the draft, I care a little bit about your height. If you've just come off a season, and this is what Imanaga did: ten and a half strikeouts and one and a third walks per nine. Uh, that's an eight to one strikeout to walk ratio uh, for Imanaga, and. He is 30, uh, and, and Yamamoto is coming over through the posting process, I believe. Uh, so he's 20. I mean, they're both coming over the pro- posting process, yeah. but Yamamoto is 25. Uh, but Yamamoto, uh, great season for him, probably um, probably his best. Um, just a, a 1-2-8 ERA, lovely, lovely ERA. Uh, but his strikeout and walk totals are not as good as Imanaga's. 9.2 strikeout rate. Uh, for Yamamoto per nine and 1.5 uh, walks per nine, so that's a that's a six strikeout to walk ratio. So uh, in certain ways, Imanaga is preferable in terms of fastball shape, uh, in terms of strikeout rate, strikeout to walks. Uh, age uh, favors Yamamoto, um, and I don't know certain sites. Certain I, I would say maybe the consensus is Yamamoto is is the is the better prize. Um, I don't know if that's probably. I don't know if that's necessarily something that's shared in every front office. There are front offices that care more about something like Stuff Plus, and some front offices that care less. So, um, I would expect Imanaga to uh, get a, a surprising maybe deal uh, to some, um, and um, I might be okay in drafts next year, kind of being like, you know, oh Yamamoto just went. I'm going to take Imanaga this round. Yeah, a couple things adding in here. 2023 total stats to your walk and strikeout numbers. He had 156 total strikeouts over 131, 133.1 innings pitched, 19 walks. 
19 total walks he had last year, if you want to take the full spectrum of it. You also, I wanted you to cite, you said something to me off air about the first pitch pitches. Was this in the WCB? Or no, this was in the no-hitter uh, that he threw last year. It, I was just kind of fascinated by the amount of different first pitch pitches he was throwing instead of just, you know, pumping a fastball. What was it? It was like five different pitches. Yeah, this is cool. Uh, a Sports Info Solutions article about Imanaga's no-hitter last year in June. Um, there was just this interesting note where he said that Imanaga threw 13 fastballs, seven splitters, five cutters, and three curveballs on the first pitch. Uh, so that's, uh, I think that's, it's just a note. It's just a little thing. But I do think it speaks to, uh, he has a, a wider arsenal uh, and he, and he, he uses them uh, in all different counts and stuff. So, and he, and he seems to have command of all of those pitches. So, um, you know, you never know. Some of these pitches don't port over. Uh, some splitters have gotten better if they come over here because the ball's different. Some splitters have gotten worse. Uh, but I think if you just look at somebody like Kodai Senga has come over, did not have, does not have great natural command, but he has a uh, a decent shape on his fastball, a really good split split fork thing uh and a pretty good cutter and he's had good success so there's a chance that monica's better than kodai senga um and and so i i it's it's definitely a name for me uh to that i'm circling in drafts next year i don't know how hard to push him until i kind of see uh you know where he's being drafted but uh, i'm gonna be into him kodai senga in his last year before he came over um only had a three to one strikeout to walk ratio. Um, and though, you know, it was heavier on the strikeout action, 9.7, that's not even as heavy as Imanaga. So, um, you know, Imanaga has some things going for him that even Kodai Senga didn't. And Senga's had good success in the major leagues. Yeah, it'll be interesting because from a dynasty perspective, like Yamamoto is going to be the one. A lot of people are, have been asking me, like, where is he going to slide? I don't tend to slot guys until there's, you know, at least close to confirmation. Like, I don't put like the, the international class on my first year player. Yeah, initially. I, should, I should mention Imanaga posting was uh, information that John Paul Morosi put out there. Uh, oh, yeah. So that's that's been sort of I would say that's close to confirmed or whatever that's 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 good news that's that's we hadn't known that he'd be posted Yamamoto like there's just a consensus that he will be but I don't know that I've seen a report like that yeah and I don't like to like I'm not going to get into crazy spec like put it down on like my own personal ranks until they are posted and a team has then I think you can start like jumping into that but like with Yamamoto a lot of people have said like where is he going to slot in a first year player I could, you could obviously justify like that could be a guy that could go one in a first year player if you're playing for now. Maybe more likely to be like three or f- I, I would probably slot him around like four after like yeah, the two still big a college pitcher. bats. I mean, I think they're, I think they're Yamanaga and Yamamoto are both top 10 first year player draft guys. But uh, personally, I always buy, I'm always biased towards hitters. And one of the things that you've said that I, that I kind of admire and like is that, um, you know, you're a little bit less concerned about how far away a guy is sometimes because we've seen how fast people are moving. And Dylan Cruz is a double A already, you know? So totally. it's like, you know, uh, I for me, I think Dylan Cruz is is 1-1, one, one, you know? I 100% agree. And some have Wyatt Langford and some want Wyatt Langford. And I, the funny thing that could change, though, is with the Paul Skeen's fastball shape issue that is out there. And we had a first, bad start. His first bad start. Yeah. And, and is going to get another one? <laughs> his du- well, no, let's see. Check this out. He, I don't Maybe you didn't see this. So his first double A start, I think that was the bad, bad start. And then uh-huh. you have the shape. Well, then I got text about this the other day because people were asking me, what does this mean? He's shut down. They put him on the developmental list. Oh, that's list. it. <laughs> they put him on the developmental list. Frank Stample from CBS had hit me up and asked me about it. And I was like, I think it's nothing. Because the you don't want to put them on the IL if they're not hurt and cause a thing, especially with that guy. So what do you do to get the you know to get them off the roster, get the roster developmental list? That's what Jack Leiter did. Jack Leiter was on the developmental list for five. Oh, or six I mean, weeks. it was a surprise that he was pitching anyway. So it, this yeah. is this is more like getting back to normal. But it is funny they came after the one bad start. And that's what I'm so what I'm saying is is like you got Paul Skeens that you know he we know all the positives, but then you've got bad shape, developmental list, 
if people were doing early first year player, I would not be shocked to see Yamamoto go ahead of Paul Skeens mm. in drafts because he's 25. That I've might turned be an this. Overreaction. I mean, you know, I think it is. Neither of the Japanese guys throws as hard as Skeens. And, you know, you know who doesn't have great shape on their four seam fastball? Shohei Otani. You know, you know how much that mattered? <laughs> You know? yeah, well, <laughs> like, it matters a little bit right now, but <laughs> I guess. But if you sit at if you sit ninety seven, ninety eight as a starter, you know some of the shape stuff matters less. You know, yeah, it matters more for Imanaga actually because he doesn't he doesn't throw that hard, so it's more like you know. And that's where I'm turning it because I turned it into all these other guys. So it's to come back in a first year player. Yamamoto can probably go again. I wouldn't go higher than three. Probably going to be four for me behind Skeens, but whatever. Monica is a different story because he is older at 30 years old. This is always kind of like a really difficult thing for people to and manage. How much do you care about that with starting pitchers? You know, they seem to have a little bit of longevity. I think Monica has four or five, you know, six good years in him. I mean, if he, since he has a good shape on these pitches. And I live in a three, I tend to live in like a three-year window world. So his so value will be want? up there. You know, a guy who's going to be in the big leagues next year and is going to play for you for three years. I mean... And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And then back to like the, so I think there's a bigger gap in the dynasty perspective, but might not be as big as people think. Then you come back to redraft. And I kind of agree with you in this case here that Yamamoto is going to have a lot of the buzz, but it's going to be very contingent. I think also where he goes, you know, if he goes and plays, I I know there's been rumors like Senga is trying to um, recruit uh, Yamamoto to come and play for the Mets. That would be great. You know, that's a great home park. That might create Dodgers a lot of excitement. Home park was like something that Yamamoto was supposed to get. That that would be good for wins, but you know, it does give up some homers in that park. But then, what if Amonaga goes to the Mariners, you know, or the Giants, or something like that? Yeah, you know, especially if you go to like a, a a pitching environment that we kind of revere a little bit. Yamamoto still is going to go higher, especially with a buzz like let's say the Met. Like I don't believe the Diamondbacks are in on him. He's going to get a ton of money. Monaco might get half the money, but the destination might be more appealing, mm-hmm. and there's a better track record and a longer track record, I should say. And then you're talking fastball shape and stuff. Plus, it kind of is in favor. He might be the better target because he's going after Yamamoto in drafts next year and something. If I, I I'm completely drawing a blank, will NFBC will the the um like the NFBC stuff will they have these guys available in the drafts or it won't happen until they sign? Like for like the early you know like the first pitch draft that they'll do in November and whatever will you have a Monaga and you won't have them unless they have like agreed. It's weird with because team, some correct? of the super early ones that we do at first pitch we can have placeholders. I know that because okay. we kind of do them offline and we don't always do them in the system. You know? Because that I would I would target Monica. I'm like I'm with you. Like I, yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. would be a guy I would be taking a look at. So, but I also um, just like the idea of you know once things are going, just sort of remember in your head that like you can let the draft set set the market for Yamamoto and then try to get Monica like around later or whatever. You know, so yeah. So it's big news. It's big news to pay attention to with the posting um, outside of what has been an incredibly aggressive draft. We didn't talk about it on the last episode. We're not going to really talk about it here, but um, you alluded to like how Dylan Cruz is. He's not the only one. The amount mm-hmm. of college bats that have been pushed up to double A is absurd. Matt Shaw might be one of the most underrated guys with the Cubs. 15% oh my gosh. strikeout I saw some people speculating today that Matt Shaw should be the number one in first year player drafts. I had him coming into uh, after coming into the draft. I had him at like six, and he's around top five for me. And he's yeah. just lived up to the hype. He's been amazing. Paul Skeens has moved up. Dylan Cruz, Wyatt Langford has lit. All these guys have lived up to it and been aggressively assigned. That it's a really big positive. Take all of those aggressive assignments and what their production could be, and now throw in a couple impactful international guys that are getting posted. It's going to make for a good first-year player and then maybe some good values that are going to be sitting out there. So we'll continue to talk about that. Some big numbers um, from Amonaga and looks like he will get posted. Um, we've got some injury problems. we got some big injury problems. One of those looks like it is from Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw, who the Dodgers need desperately. We briefly talked about the Julio Urias thing yesterday. 
and it was mentioned um, the after we had were done recording. Dodgers saying they're super disappointed as they're doing whatever their investigation. That tells you a lot of where this is going to go. This team desperately needs Clayton Kershaw, and he uh, looked awful yesterday. Five innings, three earned runs. He walked five. The most concerning thing, almost a three-mile-an-hour dip on his fastball, two-and-a-half miles an hour down on his slider. And Roberts, after the game, had said that, or alluded to is a report, that he may not have been fully healed from the shoulder issue that um, had taken him away six months of the season. So like this is bad and I don't think they're going to shut him down, but the velo coming down, the big question is like, what do we do about Clayton Kershaw right now? Because that is the alarming of alarming starts, but like they need to push him as best they possibly can. And can a fantasy owner justify not putting Clayton Kershaw out there right there out into his starts right now in the playoffs or into, into your roto season with um with poorish results, you know. I mean, what's what say you on Clayton Kershaw? Yeah, the 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 hardest thing is just uh, you know, as a as a Dodgers fan, you're just on the edge of your seat a little bit and and you just know that they kind of need him because I mean, otherwise, uh who are your your first uh three starters in a uh, in a in a playoff situation, you know, you're talking about uh, Bobby Miller, you know, starting game two, um, and uh, an uncomfortable feeling maybe thereafter. So, um, you know, that's that's you can put that aside, uh, and then you're talking about you know, in, from a fantasy standpoint, he's too good to to drop it feels like and uh but if his stuff is coming down you could justify that that good goes away except you and i off air we were kind of looking at the schedule the schedule might be also a little too enticing to pull completely away from you know because even if he's throwing like 88 and whatever he's still having a big old loopy curveball it's just nothing he didn't get away with anything in this last start with all these big decreases can he bounce back from this if he's not fully healed and the thing that doesn't help us in making a, a tough decision, you know, by moving on or not starting or whatever it is, is it's not like the worst rest of season matchup. You said something really smart off air that you said a player, what was it? A player is only as good as his remaining games or his remaining yeah, starts. Especially his pitchers. Yeah. And when we looked at the schedule, it looks like uh, he's probably got at Nationals. Uh, at Mariners next week, uh, which is a, a double tap that you'd normally take, given that Mariners good pitching environment, uh, Nationals bad team. I just uh, I have that at Nationals circled as a as a maybe a bit of a trap. Uh, you know that that velo is is a big deal. It is the worst uh, single game velo that Clayton Kershaw has put up in the major leagues. Wow, really? um, it's the very very worst and. You know, the last time he did something like this, he he like he was at eighty eight three. He took a, a break thereafter, and he got it back up over ninety. Um, he has been having decent velo. Like this year, the velo overall has been better uh, than it's been in a couple years. Uh, but uh, the last sort of three starts have been bad, worse, and worsest. Um, and so. Uh, you know that at nationals game, I, I'm just I'm just nervous for people. I don't I didn't end up with any Kershaw uh, shares this year, um, and I'm not saying that people didn't get value out of what he did this year. So um, that's that's part of the picture too. You have to be happy about your value, but then you know just making decisions now is not about what you've gotten all season. It's what's he gonna do in that national start? And I'm not I'm not sure. He ends with an at Colorado too, so. Uh, if you decide that you cannot start him in that two start week, you might as well drop him because you've got that two start week. Then you've got at Giants, which might be a good start, uh, but then it ends with at Colorado, and you may just want the flexibility of trying to get another two start pitcher instead of Kershaw if if you can't uh, stomach that at Nationals. But most likely, what people do is you know just sort of grin and bear it and and start him for the two start week. He could even get scratched and and not that's, get the two starts. 
You know? That's what I think we, we could be heading to. We're probably not going to get to this. Um, we, we made a nice, robust uh, sh- show sheet, and whoever does get to their whole show sheet, you get to your whole show sheet. You're not doing your show right. So <laughs> I, I doubt we're going to do this, but we did pull up. We were going to m- potentially take a look at some of the most picked up players over the last seven days using uh, CBS's platform. I tend to think like the aggressive pickup platform of CBS kind of bodes well for what might be available in a lot of other people's leagues. Only reason I'm mentioning this is um, a couple of the pitchers. So let me quiz you here. The most picked up pitchers, if you feel that uncomfortableness of Clayton Kershaw, the most picked up pitcher over the last seven days is Jordan Wicks with the Cubs. He's over 60% owned now. He's at 60% owned in CBS. He was 41%. Would you drop Clayton Kershaw to pick up? Uh, I'll give you a couple here. Jordan Wicks. Number five overall, number two pitcher is Matt Manning, who's under 50% owned. Jose Quintana at 45. Those are the three most picked up pitchers that are available in leagues. Would you drop Kershaw for any of them? Well, I might I might look at Quintana's schedule. Like if he had a two-start or he was at home, I love Quintana at home. Um Wicks um would be schedule dependent too. Yeah, Yeah. it's a good change up. Um I don't uh I to think at, I would uh, probably hold Kershaw with, if that's what those were my options. Quintana, ironically, Quintana's. Uh, oh no, no, that's what he already did. Quintana looks like he would line up against the Diamondbacks in at his home? next start. That doesn't and, matter that much, but at home. Um, oh, I just went away from it. Let me pull that up. I, I think it was at home. It was. Let's go back to it. Jose Quintana pitching. At, yeah, that is at home against Arizona and Jordan Wicks would be let's see his last start was the first he is he's actually got the diamondbacks at home coming up in i think uh, oh, that's right, a couple starts here this weekend yeah. yeah 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 so he's got he's got they both got the diamondbacks so would you start either one of those guys against the diamondbacks or you you know go with clayton kershaw i mean if it's, a two, ha- if it's like a weekly league and you know i had a choice like that where it's one start against the d-backs or throw kershaw twice i'll throw to kershaw twice Okay, and then the for the and full just schedule. overall on quality, I'd I'd probably still hold Kershaw. I just hope that the next the velo is better in the next game or whatever. Yeah, that's what I was just like worried. Like, how worried are you? Because those, next- like it's just one of those things where you're just like, oh, this sucks. But what am I really gonna do? Like, I can't can't drop Kershaw. He's in the big leagues. It also looks like Wicks. Actually, Wicks is pitching today. By the way, as we we're talking, he's got the that Giants might today. Be a double tap next week. That means he has got, yeah, It but check this out. It's at Colorado on Monday and oh. then at Arizona for Wicks. Yeah, sorry, I can't do that. Okay, so we <laughs> moved off of it. So we set all this up that like you should probably prepare if you have better options. Clayton Kershaw, we might be leaning into a territory where we should yeah, be daily worried leagues, the velo drop. You know, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, hey, this is, this is actionable. In daily leagues, maybe sit him for that at Nationals game. Yeah, yeah. You, you, I mean, if you don't want to, he just gave up ACLs. three runs and five to the Marlins. Like he could, he could have a bad game against the Nationals. In a, if in a the park that gives up more homers, and if against the Nationals, if that Velo is back up, will you just feel like, oh, he figured out what the thing is, or like, I guess, yeah, like, okay. I like if you can manage like ninety, I'm, I'm, I feel much better about him. Mm. Uh, we talked about it yesterday, so we don't need to go big on it. But I just wanted wanted to talk about it. One more time, because there's a little bit more of a note. We talked about Shohei Otani and the situation, and you did a great job. I highly suggest everyone go listen back about the potential idea of that surgery. What did you call it again? It was like a internal like a brace. rod. Yeah, internal the internal brace. brace. That's, That's what, what it was. Drew Rasmussen got. It's if you don't have a, a full tear, you can basically just put a brace inside your body. Uh, you know, put that on, and uh, it's more of a six month timeline than a twelve to fourteen month timeline. Which we were like. Go do it now because then you could hit after four months and then that right. could hit in January. So, but then the, the testing apparently was about something else. That's the note you've got. Yeah. So, uh, so Phil Nevin talked on Tuesday night and they characterized this right oblique injury he's dealing with as a bit of inflammation, which was why he was scratched. They said he's currently going to avoid the IL for now and they're monitoring it day to day. I just wanted to talk about it one more time because it's like, what? what is the Otani team doing? Like you got this, you got the oblique, there's inflammation, like shut it down. And they also announced like, he's got to have some type of surgery uh, of some sort. So shut it down. I know they don't want to, you mentioned they might be going after some certain type of records, blah, blah, blah. 
I just think he gets shut down. I would be surprised yeah, personally he, also if he's playing level, next he likes Monday. To play, you know, like sure. this dude is about baseball twenty four seven. So, well, uh, you know, he can be he around wants baseball to play while he still can, you know, and then he'll he'll get surgery in the off season. I I think that might be where he's trying to head, but I it's a very real situation where we all have to realize that he could stop playing at any moment. Yeah, I, I'm in a head to head, and if I make it out of this week, I have a hard time accepting that I'm going to have Otani into next week, but. He continues to push. Uh, there is some other injury. Well, I'm going to talk about this one pitcher, and there's a couple of hitters we'll just blow through. This one was bad, and I'll let you speak on it. But uh, I know it's not a huge name, but Mike Soroka was put on the IL. What's concerning? Numbness in the fingers. And that had you giving me an audible before we started going, oh, no, because there's a lot to it. So Mike Soroka's numb fingers on the IL. Yeah. Could be something we have. Michael Soroka, I apologize. Um, might be a career type of issue we're looking at with Soroka. Yeah, it's not good. Brian Snicker said uh, after the game that it was not good, and that's also not good. You usually have the manager downplay and be like, you know, let's see what this is or whatever. And he said it was not good. So I'm officially on red alert. The numbness in the fingers, the best outcome I've ever heard was Brandon Woodruff, who had some weird syndrome and it passed and he's been fine since. Uh, the worst case scenario is thoracic outlet syndrome, because if you have numbness in the fingers, something is affecting your nerve and then usually that's compression. And what happens in thoracic outlet is if you just feel along your clavicle, um, you know, out here to this, this bone that comes down here in your neck here. Uh, then you have a, a, a rib that comes across the top here. Um, and those two, uh, have a pressure between them. I don't know if the rib is harder to feel. We're like, we're trying to feel this out on the video, by the way. Yeah. We're both like feeling you can it. feel the clavicle that comes around your neck, but then underneath it, there's a rib. You have to kind of push in, uh, yeah, gonna break, I don't want to break mine. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I, it's like right here. I think. Yeah, so there's a rib that comes up, and that top rib and the clavicle. There's there as you get beefier and stronger and throw a lot, and you're you're a pitcher. Those there can be compression there. It's called thoracic compression, and uh, so some of the good outcomes that we've had from thoracic outlet. Apparently, Alex Cobb told me uh, that the good outcomes are because uh, the blood ones. So your blood your your blood vein can get irritated there. Um, and you can make blood clots. And so you kind of throw blood clots, uh, you know, down to your fingertips and that sucks and it hurts, but it has better outcomes because it's a vein when it's the nerve that's being compressed and you get numbness in your fingers because your nerve is getting depressed up there. Those outcomes on those surgeries have worse outcomes. That's the Strasburg. So Strasburg was nerves, Cobb was veins, and those are different. Uh, also, I, I think I mentioned on, on here, but it might've been three Oh. So, uh, just, if you haven't heard this before, Alex Cobb said they can't saw that rib when they get rid of it. So they take a wrench in and they go and they just snap it off. And, uh, he said, what it's all it? jagged it's a car. It's, it's like a jagged end. Huh? This is like a car. I know. Yeah. They, they take a wrench? a wrench and they, they just, they snap it off. Um, uh, and see, he said that even though he was on like, oxy level meds uh when he woke up he reacted like he'd been shot like he he came up out of surgery and he goes oh and he like grabs his shoulder like he'd been <laughs> shot and he was on meds uh so he said it was awful he says that the bone that they took out you can see the jagged edges where they just sort of popped it off so i like and this is a, a picture who's like i think one of the most things that i've ever been worried about for myself because i'm never going to get thoracic outlet surgery uh, is that uh, I've had Achilles soreness and I feel like the, one of the more other gruesome things is to tear your Achilles because the ligament sort of sort of flaps up the back of your leg and you can kind of feel it sort of just, it's like one of those ligaments that's a really tight ligament that goes around the bottom of your leg all the way to your foot. whole you thing know? is making me feel uncomfortable. I'm one of those know, people like, it's like I'm feeling, so, I'm like, is my Achilles hurting right now? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and they go at 40, so... Uh, yeah, that's oh, why God. I kind of stopped playing pickup basketball, but Soroka now will like, is in line for possibly the two most gruesome injuries that you can really get as a baseball player. So I feel really terribly for him and I'm hoping that this is not thoracic outlet, but, uh, this is, this is, and this is Soroka is a player that I had a pitcher in camp with him the first time 
uh, he ever saw him and said, this guy's a dude, he's got great command. He's an athlete. You know, this guy's, you know, put him on your radar. And uh, this is just an awful, awful outcome, you know, given all the promise that he had. So I feel terribly yeah. about this. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember. I mean, Sorka's still young enough that, like, that, you know, with enough time and blah, 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 we can recover. It doesn't have, I mean, make it a little dramatic about, like, career ending. But, you know, you keep having, you stack injuries up uh, yeah. with the severity. We kind of know where that ends up going. But uh, Sky was the limit, you know, with Soroka. So yeah. it's really sad to see. And uh, we'll see the results. You know, we're not, we're, you know, calling for the end here right now. Yeah, it's it's numbness exactly. at this point, but Could yeah, we, we can still be Ray Node syndrome or something. That's what um, that's what uh, Vander Woodruff had. But numbness in the fingers is not good for a pitcher. I feel like I have them all now. I touched my the the bone up top. And you're like, like I can't oh, feel I my I fingers. <laughs> yeah, go to IMDb. I'm like, I have those problems. <laughs> this is <laughs> oh, no. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, the other injuries. Andrew McCutcheon, Achilles, uh, I believe it was at Achilles, out for the season. And he had tweeted, I'm good. And then he's like, I'm not good. And Anthony Rizzo shut down for the season. So both guys done for the rest of this year. Puts in quite, I, I don't know if there's so much, it puts in question of like McCutcheon and, you know, where is he going, if he's going to be anywhere next year, I suppose. Rizzo kind of continues going, but I kind of had asked you, do you care? Do you, I, not to be crass about it. I mean, it, but like, I, I care for Kutch for his career. He's at 299 homers, had a great career. Would have yeah, been I meant nice, Rizzo, but yeah. Nice way to go out. But, you know, the Pirates could be a, a step closer next year uh, to being good. And, you know, there's still this chance that he's, you know, the the last player on the roster for a team that's good, you know, that that kind of the 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 team uh, player captain, you know what I mean? The player player coach kind of deal. So... Uh, I think I know a lot of a lot of players look up to him, um, and uh, I would love to see him come back in, in a in a small role next year. That's probably not going to be fancy uh, friendly. But uh, Anthony Rizzo uh, is still on that cusp of like you think maybe he he has a, a full time job to come back to when he comes back. Um, you know he's under con- he's under team control next year. Uh, they're going to be paying him twenty million dollars. Um, I think, you know, I think they'll they'll just invite him back and he'll be the starter, meaning that uh, I, I in like model leagues, I would love to just be like, yes, I think he'll be a, a good value pick. You know what I mean? Because I think they'll probably just play him, you know, and I think they'll probably give him a lot of rope. Um, but in like in like mixed redraft 12, like 12 teamers. I see the worst whiff rate of his career, the worst strikeout rate of his career, the worst barrel rate of the last four years, uh, one of the worst barrel rates of his career, the worst max EV of his career, uh, the worst ISO of his career. Like, it doesn't look good, and he's 34, and projected bounce backs are less val- like less, less realistic uh, at 34. So um, I think I would stay away from him in uh, 12-teamers, 15-teamers, um, uh, like a util slot if you didn't like what you did with CI, I guess. Uh, but I like a starting util, starting CI, starting first baseman in fifteen, a little bit weird. But like a value pick in mono leagues at CI, maybe. I think I'm. I'll probably be completely out. You know, one thing I'm interested to see if it happens next year is with all of the. Of course, my brain goes to it, like with prospects, but. You look at all of these guys that we've been focusing on, these prospects that are getting to AA and AAA and the timelines and stuff like that. If we will see a tiny little push where fantasy baseball trends similar to fantasy football, and in fantasy football, what do you do? You speculate a lot on who could be the next you know, um, running back or a handcuffed running back or something like that. There's a lot. There's a bit more speculation that I wonder if instead of picking up boring old like you know, you, you said, oh, I don't like what I did at Util. Instead of picking up a guy like Rizzo, that maybe you're just going to start speculating and drafting guys like Dylan Cruz. And not saying he's not going to go higher, but you start speculating on no, double totally. A, triple A hitters instead of even looking at guys like Anthony Rizzo. In fact, Rizzo. That's a, that seems like a, 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 I like that. You know, like you could do something like Cruz at Util and Rizzo on the bench, knowing that you're going to play Rizzo for the first half and you're hoping exactly. that Cruz is up for the second half. I like that idea. And I also think that, you know, something left unsaid sort of reading between the lines, what you're saying is that like, you know, if they are going to be so aggressive with these young players, that does mean something bad for the old players. You know, at some point 
they have to go. I was just on the uh, A's cast yesterday with um, with Townsend, um, and he was saying that uh, right now in Oakland there are some older players that you know are not going to be there next year, and there's just this is the sorting out process, and uh, you know the some of the good and the bad is we're excited about Zach Geloff, you know we're excited about Lawrence Butler. That does mean that somebody, you know, a veteran is is on his way out. So uh, I don't see, do you see, like, do you know the Yankees system better than I do? Maybe um, I know that they promoted Wells and Dominguez and we talked about them and Pereira and I like all those guys. Do you think any of them, like, would they put Pereira at first or? I think they might put Wells at first. I mean, Wells doesn't want, he wants to, ca- I mean, that's the thing he told me, but this is years ago. Like, I think Wells is a guy that can go over to first, and I think that's where they're grooming. Let me pull up my the ranks 100 on uh, WRC plus at AAA for Wells. I don't know. Well, I think they want to get kind of that back going. So if you're talking about who else is out there that's coming close, the problem is, is they did do this kind of a depletion of guys that are close. They've got a lot of pitching they prospects. Kind of, they brought them all up, right? Yeah. Well, now here's the guy, though. Spencer Jones. Spencer Jones oh. is he's a six foot six. He can play in and the outfield, not, but he doesn't can, really have a, a position right now in the major leagues. I think for him. he's up in double A. I think he's going to the Arizona Fall League. And I think we see him play a lot of first base. And That'd there's always the possibility. I'm not saying Spencer Jones breaks camp. I think Austin Wells would be more likely, but reversing no, back to I mean, what Rizzo's you were saying. Gonna break camp, but then you know, I'm just trying to well, think of like who could take the job from him. You know, over the course of the season or what? Oh, Spencer next. Jones. Spencer Jones would be the guy. Wells would be a, uh, a guy. But there's always a possibility, kind of alluding to what you're saying, is if there is the teams that have committed to the youth movement, is it unthinkable to for a team like the Yankees, specifically a team like the Yankees, to go, hey, listen, we're not going to play you. Like, you're going to be on the bench. We can convert this money. You know how they we pay it over time, but we can convert this as a buyout or whatever it is. Uh, and you can go play somewhere else, and we'll pay you your money. Would they be or, willing to do or that? They, or where they look at for a trade where they pay ten million of it, and the other team has and they to move pay a prospect, and they get a Rizzo, you know? Yeah, and they move a prospect. So I think there could like, be maybe would a little the bit. Padres take Rizzo to be their DH when they've been looking for a DH forever. You know, would they t- Padres take him for a DH if they only had to pay ten million dollars and they could? They he was part of their team at one time, prospect or something. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a history actually with Rizzo and the Padres. Yeah, that's a possibility, and they give up a prospect. I think By all the way. I think, I think those one thing on the that, think that, that I think that you have to think about is that he may not play much against lefties anymore. When you're getting to that point in your career where you're not that good overall, then p- teams start finding ways to use you only at your best. You know, <laughs> so and then maybe. Wells can platoon. Wells can be yeah. your righty. You know, he can be your righty guy. So that might be part of what Wells's job could be next year, and Rizzo gets into a platoon and then it's like, you already don't like Rizzo that much. So would you really want to even invest any draft capital in a guy that could get platooned because it, this team has shown us how aggressive they will be with young yeah, guys Rizzo at the end of last of year. Next year. I, I, I used to fall for these guys a lot, but I've been learning a little bit. I think that thing from Zimmerman about how you can't really bank on a bounce back from guys who are 34 and 35 has been, has changed my approach a little bit. And like, what has he shown us? He hasn't shown us anything. So it's just, it's yeah. a fantasy thing. But, you know, also you need, you get all these young guys, you also need team leaders and Rizzo can play that role, but you got Judge and, um, you know, you got Stanton. Um, that's something to pay attention to with those guys. Speaking of paying attention to youth watch list, we have to talk about it because he's a darling of this show, but Edward Cabrera, you know, is back. <laughs> our our guy, Edward Cabrera, who we were trying to ship, we were trying to ship him before the trade deadline. He got good. He got bad. Went down to AAA had a 2-2 ERA in AAA, picked up three wins over five starts, had 28 innings pitched, had a 9.53 K per nine. He cut his walks down in AAA from what it was at the majors. He had a over six walk per nine in the majors. It was a 3.8, so it's still bad, but it's for him, it's good. But the K suffered a little bit. ERA was good. Obviously, he should dominate at that level. Any excitement? You're going to jump back into the Edward Cabrera um, train? I mean, he has monthly splits where I'm like, absolutely, this guy is a, a stud. The In May, he had a 28% strikeout rate and a 9% walk rate. In June, he had a 31% strikeout rate and a 10% walk rate. If Edward Cabrera can do that, I mean, 10% is not even good. It's just okay. And if he could do 10%, he could be a stud. So uh, that's what I'm looking for. I think, I, I think that... 
you know this minor league stint with the with the lower uh, stri- the lower walk rate. I'll take it even with the lower strikeout rate because I think that needs to be the focus for him. Um, and I'd say like we were talking about this uh, list of uh, of most picked up. Uh, you know, I didn't even. I'm not even that into most of the pitchers on this. I, I'm looking at the yeah. CBS Fantasy most picked up list. Uh, we got Jordan Wicks that you mentioned, Matt Manning, uh, Jose Quintana, Darius Vines just got sent down. Javier Assad, I think, is an up-down guy. Kyle Hendricks, I do not want. Kyle Harrison, I like, but it's a little bit about your next, uh, his next matchup. Uh, Ryu is the same, where it's like, I like these guys, but I care about their matchups a lot. Uh, Cabrera is the kind of guy where I might care about the matchups in terms of starting him, but I want him on my team. You know what I mean? Like I want, I want him on my bench so that I can start him in all the good starts. He's that good. I think he's a step above Ryu. He's a step above Kyle Harrison. Don't you think? I mean, he's, he's a step above any name I've said, I think. Yeah. I, I kind of want to, I mean, I, maybe I know the answer, but like, you cut if you oh, you is this don't like Kershaw? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I was gonna do that. You don't like the matchups. You said, hey, if you don't like the two start and you got Colorado, would you dump out on Kershaw to pick up Cabrera? I don't see the one thing that's interesting about this is I don't think you'll have the time to wait to see what happens in Washington. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, you, you, that's why like you have to make the move. That's kind of where I'm going with it. Have they also said the only thing I worry about in this is. Are they committed to like he's going to get starts or could this be something where because we've seen a couple guys get put into like leverage situations when they come back up. I've got this note from Barry Jackson. The Miami Herald says Cabrera joined the Marlins taxi squad Tuesday and is expected to be called up from AAA to start Wednesday's game against the Dodgers. Okay, You want to kind of if you want to watch that game Wednesday and and see if you have if you're in a 10 team or 12 team, you want to watch that game Wednesday or look at the box score and see how many walks he gave up. Like, and you have that opportunity. You think you'll be there for your for your league? Then do that. Uh, if he walks fewer than 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 three, or you know, depending on how many innings he pitches, of course. But if he has a decent walk rate in that game, then yeah, I mean, he's gonna he's throwing a lot better than Kershaw right now. Dodgers, are, it's a rough matchup. That's a really rough it's matchup. Rough, like I, I wouldn't necessarily want to pick him up and start him today. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. I would not. And yeah, I would not. I, <laughs> I probably... It's it's encouraging, like some of the stuff he did in the in the minors. But will will it translate on the back half of the year? I probably still go into Kershaw. I feel I feel like I feel a little bit better about the Washington start than you do. And the 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 tricky part about this will be is if Cabrera kind of deals against the Dodgers. He goes and strikes out eight, walks two, goes five. Then it's gonna like open up our brains a little bit, and then this becomes a closer conversation. Um, A guy that we talked about. Back in the episode way back uh, earlier this year where Eno and I were kind of digging into more of like the baseball savant, like just perusing the pages and stuff like that. And, you know, and how useful it is. They can be pretty. We get these pages and we're like, boy, this guy has a pretty and baseball savant They've been updated recently. They're, I think it's a little better now. I like it. Yeah, I do like the new update if you haven't checked it out. Well, the guy that you and I can't both we both agreed like we kind of can't help, even though he is one of those players that there are guys that have like bad baseball savant pages and produce. There's guys that have good and don't produce. Key Brian Hayes is the literal poster child of what we were talking about here. And we're both like, man, he just hits the ball hard if he could be consistent. 
Well, don't look now. He's starting to hit the ball hard again. 49.7% hard hit rate, second highest of his career, second highest average EV, second highest barrel rate of his career. He's just getting things going again. And you had actually tweeted something out a little bit earlier today about that rolling uh, that rolling average, that 15-game rolling average. So where are you at? Are you kind of jumping back on the key Brian Hayes train? This might be a build for the offseason of investment into him early next year. But still, any takes on Key Brian Hayes? Yeah, I think the news, the pages are are, are a good example of uh, why the new pages are better because, um, you know, there are extreme positives for Hayes that jump off the page. His base running value, his fielding value, uh, his average exit velocity, his hard hit rate. They still have some stuff on here that I don't think is that useful. Like average exit velocity is not super useful. Um, but, uh, then you have some gray sliders. Those are all red sliders for, for Hayes. And then you got some gray sliders. His barrel rate is 42nd percentile, uh, sweet spot, 46th percentile, ex Wobo, 56th percentile. So, um, it's all about whether or not his bat can really, uh, you know, catch up with, uh, you know, or, or you can make more out of that raw power that he's got. Um, and what I posted today actually was a, a rolling, uh, average of his fly ball rate. Oh, okay. Um, and, um, you know, somebody pointed out that for this year, uh, his, his fly ball rate is uh, pretty much average, uh, for Cabrian Hayes. But, um, I, I was like, yes, that would be an immense accomplishment for Cabrian Hayes. Uh, his, his fly ball rates coming into the, the last two seasons, 25% in 2021, 28% in 2022, the average uh, fly ball rate around the league is 34%. So this is a guy who cannot hit fly balls. Now he's got a 38% fly ball rate, and he's had some peaks this season where he was hitting 50% fly ball rate on the uh, on the rolling chart. And now I think that's too far. I never, I've always said I don't like 50% fly ball rates, and that's too much. But just to see this guy flirt with that and and try it out, tells me that, you know, he went too far and then he brought it back and now he's at a really good place. And his rolling number is around 34%. That would be, if he did it for the season, would be his best of all time. It would be slightly better than league average and it'd be a great way for him to take advantage of his as obvious raw power as evidenced by Brian Hayes' uh, nice-looking Max EVs, 113 plus the last two seasons. So, you know, this is a guy that I think you know, if this is real, then next year I think you could hit 275 with 20 homers and 20 steals. You need some, you need some, you know, I mean, 25 homers even. You need some good health from him uh, to get that. And you know, where you take him, knowing that he could also regress and you know not hit those numbers, is going to be uh, a real tough one. I think it's more for 15 and mono. Uh, I would love to have him as my third baseman in a mono league. Uh, in 15 team leagues, I, uh, you know, maybe somewhere between uh, a back end CI or corner infielder or util. If he was able to take this and finish out the rest of the season, would you, let me use the word, identify him as kind of like a sleeper target for you for next year because he was able to make that change, hold it? The big question will be, does he hold it through the offseason into yep. next year? Because he has not really shown us a track record of being able to do that. But if he were able to maintain this through the end of the year, is that something where you're like, you know what? He's a major target for big breakout for you. And you would identify him as that? Or is it still very wait and see and like, well, no one likes him and I'll just kind of take him and hope for the best. I mean, I'm just looking at this fly ball chart. And uh, if you want to look at it, I've got a tweet that says Cabrian Hayes, finally. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, he, he has been doing the fly ball thing all year. You know, he, it's, it's been a, the, the graph looks radically different. So, um, it always depends on price and alternatives and stuff like that. But he's, he's, he's again, a sleeper for me. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'd I'd feel most comfortable in like a draft and hold as a third, third baseman or, or a second, third baseman, you know, third CI. Um, but, uh, he'll be on my rosters. I think that, a nice thing about him is that there is some floor here. And so, you know, next year, the floor projection for me would be like 250, 10 homers and 10 stolen bases. And I think that's, you know, that's still useful. Just not something you would take if you were to get pushed up. That's not like a 150. That's not a top 150 player. No, it's hard to, yeah, because that kind of floor you would drop in a lot of leagues. 
and you don't want to pick somebody uh, too high that you might drop. Like I have yeah. to, I'm on. I have to be honest. Like you, you might drop him. Yeah, and, and the thing you get to pay attention to is like where does the hype end up going? I mean, he does have a post All Star break of a three hundred five average. He's got seven homers, but the stolen bases have completely depleted during that time. He actually does Maybe not he just have to get hurt again. Yeah, he does not have a stolen base from August on. So that's something you'll have to watch. But he is also, you know, he's hit lefties while he's hitting over 300 against lefties so far this year. So there's some big positive turns uh, for Key Brian Hayes. There were also some big days on Tuesday. I just want to mention a couple of these. Uh, uh, Jose Altuve has been on some crazy tear. He had three straight homers and like three innings or three straight at bats. It was four straight at plate appearances with a homer. Um, break in history for the most homers in short period of time. And it's essentially been like 300 at bats this year that he's put up 15 homers. I had this long discussion on fantasy pros today with uh, Casey Bubba about this, but like, I'm going to ask you this exact question going into next year. I I've felt Altuve um, was actually kind of a buy around the trade deadline for what he had done in a short period of time that people weren't really accounting because he'd missed so much time, but going into next year, Mookie is going to hold the top tier. He's got the second because he's played so many games. He'll be, you know, second base one. Tier two will be Ozzie Albies. And then making maybe like Marcus Simeon, you'll put those guys in there. But tier three, who would you rather have next year? Jose Altuve or Jazz Chisholm? Nah, just uh just slotting Jazz Chisholm in there. Um, uh, you know, with the age, I'll take Jazz Chisholm. Uh, you know, Jose Altuve 33. I know that this year's injury. Uh, was due to the WBC and getting a fractured hand there. And I know that uh, probably people are fairly happy with what they got, you know, if they think back to that day when he fractured his hand and what they thought they might get out of Altuve this year. So people are probably still pretty happy with him. But I would remind uh, Altuve backers that there's been other injuries this year, other kind of things that are going to pop up more and more as he gets older. And I know Jazz Chisholm, uh, you know, has had his own injury problems uh, but I continue to hope for a 25-year-old uh, kind of like finally putting together a full season. You know, if you just mush last year together with this year, you get a full season of uh, of Jazz Chisholm Jr. And that uh, full season would be a 255 average with 29 homers and 31 stolen bases. Uh, I don't think Altuve still has that upside. See, the only problem is, is I think I got to look here, but I think Al, Altuve's pace numbers are just about that. I know, <laughs> his I know. Pace number, <laughs> his pace numbers are like 30 homers over the season with a like 300 batting. Out. He's definitely stealing more bases than I thought he would steal this year. Yeah. So like if, if you get into the pace numbers, because what does he have? He has 13. So yeah, so he's almost a 30-30 guy paced out over next year. His expected batting average is quite a bit lower than it's been in the last three years. But his WOBA is is in the top two percentile of the league and the second highest of his career. And he was also he continues uh, to morph into being a power hitter. It's so crazy. Double digit barrel percentage, which you and yeah. I've talked a lot about. First time he's ever been double digit. So I throw all those things out to say that like his pace numbers are there with a much better batting average than Jazz Chisholm. Jazz is just but, a, such a great decision because with anybody else, I would just point to plate appearances and say, I'll take the over on plate appearances for this other player. But with Jazz, it's kind of hard to be like, you know, uh, who get, it's almost the question of who gets more plate appearances next year, Jazz or, or Jose Altuve. Yeah, and they both got injury worries. It's just one is younger, and uh, it, it's just one kind of a fun one. A, sort of a better injury bet, but he's way older. I mean, 34 years old is... Concerned. Yeah, you could argue that Altuve could stay healthy, but the age works against some of the aggressiveness. But like, is Jazz Chisholm also the next Giancarlo Stanton, where every year it's something? It's just some new thing it's and aggressive me. swings Something to think about. Another guy to think about for next year, Brandon Woodruff on Tuesday, seven innings, gave up only two hits, six Ks, now has three straight quality starts and has had uh, really quite a season since another guy you're talking about injury. Two, three ERA with an expected ERA under three still. Um, The expected batting average against, if you care about that, is under 200 K percentage is over 30%. It's actually the highest of his career, 31.3%. Any thoughts on Brandon Woodruff on what we've seen this year? And um, you can carry it into next year, Convo, if you want. Yeah, I mean, uh, the injuries for him this year uh, have included uh, uh, time on the IL for shoulder. Uh, the The actual 
injuries, you know, lined up um, as they have it on Fox Sports are an oblique in 2019, illness in 2021. I don't even know what that is. Um, maybe that's COVID. Ankle, uh, 2022, and shoulder, 2023. Uh, was it? Is any of these the ones where he had numbness in his fingers? I feel like this is an incomplete list, Fox. I don't know. If oh, that's numbness. No more numbness. He had bone spurs? What is this? Uh, that's Wade Miley has bone spurs. I don't know. It, it, it's it's weird to like look at it and be like, okay, you know, it's been, it hasn't been a ton of injuries. It's just been he's been out for those injuries. It's I I don't what's the over under on innings for him next year? He went 120, 2020, he had 73, which is pretty much a full season. So let's give him 180 that season, right? So 120, pace for 180, 179, 153, and he's going to end this year with like 60. But technically, his two biggest innings pitched were, not counting this, were the previous two years, were 179 and 159. Yeah, so Yeah, 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 because I paced him for 20, yeah. Yeah, so I, I would say over, under, you probably got to go like 130. 130. Yeah, yeah, 130 is. So, I mean, would you take the over or the under? I or this how, is catnip for me, man. I love I love established uh, mid career guys who aren't too old yet who just had catnip. one. Like you know, I I would I would take Woodruff. I would take the over. I take Woodruff. Okay. What do you think he's going to be? Uh, do you have some early ADPs? Like, is he going to be uh, taken he's as not. a as a uh, as a number one? No, there's not enough draft. I think the only draft is one I've mentioned before. It was a live draft. Uh, Rob DiPietro did one yeah, with where, NFBC. Where uh, I, I think they only posted seven rounds, and I don't recall seeing him go. I don't recall seeing him go, but I think that was also like a month ago. So I would imagine Woodruff is going to be somewhere. Maybe I'm off here. Probably not inside the top 25 SPs. You know, maybe hovering right around that spot. I mean, because... Okay, here's one. I'll just randomly throw to you. Would you rather have uh, Brandon Woodruff or Jesus Lazardo? You know, Lazardo was money to start the year and has just kind of tanked down a little bit towards the end. Would you side back on the youth with Lazardo and those strikeouts or Woodruff with some of the inning concerns? I'm taking Woodruff. Woodruff went in the fourth uh, to Waxman. Oh, okay. And uh, let me see how many pitchers. I don't know what to count. I'm not counting Otani's a pitcher. Strider. It went Strider, Cole, uh, Castillo, Gossman, um, Burns, Wheeler, Gallon, Kirby. That's eight. Uh, Glass. I'm going to be nine. I'm going to be way off then. Wow. Okay. So I am way off then. He 10. was SP 10. Okay. I mean, those are sharp. So they're on to that. I thought typical drafts, you might see him more in the 20 range or something like that. But um, that is a buyback in of full health. And that's. Well, it's funny. Waxman took him and Blake Snell, where maybe he's just banking on getting, you know, 180 combined innings. I don't. <laughs> I mean, Blake, Blake Snell. I, th- I feel like I would side on Blake Snell over Woodruff. But we also don't know his destination. That's an interesting. In between Woodruff and Snow was Freddie Peralta, 11, Sandy Alcantara, 12, Yuri Perez, 13, to Bubba, Scherzer, 14, Logan Gilbert, 15, Snell, Snell, 16. I feel like Woodruff fits in that 15 range for me. Like, not to say that he's not deserved at 10, but I feel like you have to bake in some of the risk in there as well. Something I I don't like about that uh, early draft board is how much risk is in that that range glass now woodruff peralta alcantara perez is a fairly risky group of pitchers to me i might want to get clear of that for my first for my ace that's what i was hoping is that woodruff would be my number two uh in you know get a high number two and so um i you know corbin burns in the third i think that i think that's going to change corbin burns is going to go in the second because people are going to see that like burns wheeler gallon kirby Glass now, Woodruff. You know what I mean? Like, you know, with Wheeler, Gallon, Kirby, you're like, uh huh, yep, yep, I like this. And then with Woodruff and Glass, you're like, well, if 
they're healthy, you know? I think what will be interesting is paying attention to the drafts that we, uh, we all end up doing over at first pitch. Those are you know, there's usually a multitude of drafts. Boards will be, not to say yeah. that this isn't, because this we'll is this is a more. first table And also, setter. you know, another nice thing about first pitch data uh, and what happens there is it's not all one format. So you're going to have dynasty leagues drafting there. You're going to have yeah. uh, you're going to have draft and holds. You're going to have uh, NFBC type. You're going to have monos. You know, you're going to have auctions. So you're going to get some uh, 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 an interesting influx of data where we're going to. So I'll, I'll keep my eye on Woodruff. See where he goes. Me too. I, I kind of think he settles in around 15, but at the same time, if he continues at this pace, I'm going to, I'm completely wrong. So I was Woodruff already wrong about the 25. Now is also a, a, an incredible thing to think about. Ooh, I like that. That'll be a fun offseason debate. Uh, two, I want to mention this prospect thing. One other quick note. Chris Bassett, who we talked about with major concerns in the preseason about the Velo stuff, he just rattled off eight, struck out seven. And I wanted to uh, throw this out. Our, our friend Nick Pollock tweeted this, and he said, Chris Bassett held a 3.81 ERA with a 1.19 whip entering today. If you remove his first start and include tonight's start, that is a 3.28 ERA and a 1.10 whip across 170 that. innings. That's pretty awesome, he said. I, you know, this is one thing we were talking about spring training Velos. Uh, he was down a lot. He's still down. So it's not like it was uh, spring training was wrong about his Velo. Uh, but um, I guess what I should have done is just identify him as someone where Velo is not as important because he has six, he has eight pitches literally on StatCast. He has eight. It's like Bieber. It's it's just like, like I was going to say, he was this year's Bieber to last year where everyone's like, oh, the Velo's down. I mean, Bieber really struggled at some points this year, but it's the same th- to your point. Like Bieber has had Velo decreases, but there's well, also yeah, a pitch mix arsenal. Could it become a problem for long term? How much I think am I so. value him? Maybe I'll undervalue him again, but it isn't the type of pitcher that I like to have very high in my rankings. Um, so that's just one thing. Um, uh, we we just let's throw some prospects out there real quick. This is not on the rundown, but uh, Connor Phillips uh, debuted uh, for the Reds. They need pitching. His stuff plus is off the charts. His yep. location plus is off the charts in the bad way. Um, and I think you saw both of those things on display in his first uh, game where he gave up two home runs and four and two thirds. Uh, missed the zone uh, sometimes, walks two guys, but also had seven strikeouts in four and two thirds. So I don't know how to use him uh, correctly, but he is definitely a guy that if you are in a, a stash situation, that I would pick up in stash because of the stuff alone. Like if you were I did this, I actually did that situation. in a dynasty. I yeah, we had exactly. a dynasty league where he was available and I picked him up. Uh, on Mason Miller, we just talked about him yesterday. Mason Miller on the callback up. That doesn't mean it's great news. So what did you get yeah, on Mason Mark Miller? Mark Kotze said in the huddle last yesterday when I was at the park that uh, he expects him to be somewhere between the bull. We like to put our bullpen and our st- and our starting staff together. It's all just one staff, you know. Everyone's happy. Uh, he doesn't talk like that, but it, the idea is uh, <laughs> uh, that he is somewhere in between a starter and a reliever, and they're going to limit him to fifty pitches in appearance. So that's going to make him hard to make an impact in fantasy. I don't really see him getting holds in that situation. Maybe a three-inning save, but uh, most likely they're just trying to push that innings total over like 50 uh, so that maybe next year he can throw 80 or 100. You know, I mean, this is this is one of those extreme cases. Somebody uh, locally uh, was talking about, it reminds him a little bit of the A.J. Puck situation where you have this extreme stuff and extreme inability to stay healthy. Um, and, you know, there are guys that become relievers because they can't stay healthy. And that That's it's still in the realm of possibilities for Mason Miller, like very distinctly. He might be an AFL return guy. I'm just throwing this out there. He might be one of those guys that has to return. Innings. Yeah, because yeah, you need innings. But by the way, I also defend you. I think a manager that puts a pitcher like him at 50 pitches, they talk like this. Like, oh, that, that's how they sound when they do that to the pitcher. The last thing I wanted to throw your way was uh, I feel, I just feel strong about this. We mentioned him briefly. I believe yesterday, Jordan Lawler yesterday, after talking about him goes off, rattles off a two Homer night hitting over 600 in September. He now has four straight multi-hit games. It's in the PCL. I understand but this is noted by a couple of people, so I'm not trying to like take this, but I went and looked because I agree. 
Nick Ahmed over his last 10 games, someone tweeted this and I'm completely forgetting it. So I'm, I'm taking their tweet and I wish I could cite them. Um, but 10 games, Nick Ahmed has a 0.045 batting average, a sub 200 OBP has one run and no other counting stats over the last 10 games. Geraldo Perdomo in the entire month of August hit only 250 and had under 15 total combined run and RBI and is hitting 111 in the month of September Jordan Lawler is hitting out of his mind. The Diamondbacks are one game back in the wild card. I think he needs to be called up this week. And I think he's one of those prospects that would be interesting to stash right now. If you can in the league, you can get a boost in your middle infield because he is a power speed combo. I think he's a 20-30 guy in the minors right now, close into 20-40. He can defensively play. And that team is devoid of offense at shortstop. So why they wouldn't would make no sense on the planet. They are one game back in the wild card. Jordan Lawler, I think, comes up within the next week, and he'd be a player I would look to stash right now. And it can't even really be about uh, places on the 26-man roster or the 40-man roster because uh, is Lawler already on it? I, be- I, you know, I want to say he might not be on the 40-man. Fo- even if it's not, I have an a extremely like easy solution for the D-backs. Yeah. Release Nick Ahmed. Yeah, because- take him off the 40-man. He's a twenty. He's a he's already a free agent at the end of the season anyway. Uh, I have the last 30, uh, 30 days up. It's not any better for Ahmed. He's a twenty four WRC plus over the last thirty days. Perdomo is good enough to keep on the roster. You're you're mentioning some of the worst parts of his aspects, especially from a fantasy angle. But uh, for the last month, Perdomo still has a ninety seven WRC plus. That might be why they haven't done anything. Like that's good enough. That's not the that's not the problem on the team, you know. Uh, like a, a bat at shortstop. That's a, yeah. I don't want him defender. off the team. I yeah, want yeah. him as a core piece to help to so you can platoon around and stuff. Perdomo yeah. goes nowhere, but because you have Perdomo, you don't need Nick Ahmed. I just looked. Uh, he Lawler is not on the forty man roster, but there's so a, that is there's the a problem, spot but, waiting for him. It's called Nick Ahmed. I mean, that's a hundred percent. And they're going into a series this weekend. Uh, it might be worth a speculative stash, even in redrafts, if you've got a spot. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Redraft. I'm t- because, picking him up right now. Yeah, because because they're going into a a a, a big wild card battle this weekend. We might hear the Lawler news tomorrow because they're going to play the Cubs. The Cubs are seventy five and sixty four right now. And the D-backs are 71 and 68. Like, the Cubs are who they're chasing. And if they could do a sweep, uh, you know, in Chicago, that would change everything. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that's why I'm saying in redraft, Dynasty is no doubt if he's in some type of keeper format. Yes. But redraft, I would pick him up right now if I have some void in my middle infield and you want a power, or you're looking for power speed combo guy. He's going to run. He's going to run if he gets here. Diamondbacks let their guys run. He's a power potential guy. He's been hitting like crazy. There's a ton of confidence. And like I said, with Jordan, uh, with Jason Dominguez, I don't think there's enough time in the league to make adjustments, especially if he comes out hot and see a lot of fastballs. And I think there's some good production. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So that'd be a guy I would take a look at. That's going to do it. That's going to do it for us. A little bit of a prospect swing and a whole bunch of other things. That is the final of the Wednesday episodes for this season. Coming up, you've got uh, you and Al. Uh, Eno and Al are going to be doing the episode on Friday, and we'll be kind of back to just Monday, Friday. I'll be back with you guys on Monday. So thank you all for hanging out with us. If you guys don't, I think it's a dollar a month right now. You can go to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Pick yourself up a subscription. Check out all the great articles, and you don't want to really miss anything. So I would suggest going to do that. For Eno, I'm Welsh. Thank you guys for hanging out with us, and we'll talk to you right here next time on Rates and Barrels. Thanks for listening.